0: The heavens burned, the stars cried out, and under the ashes of infinity, hope, scarred and bleeding,
1: breathed its last. And once again, we welcome you to Drive Back the Night, an Andromeda Series podcast. I am Ryan Mazzacco. I'm Ethan Maestri. You know, Ethan, this is the part where normally we uh, do we come up with some sort of little skit or or something with kind of we, we normally would, yeah, a little joke that that has something to do with something that happened in the show that we're covering this week. Yeah. Um. You know, the thing is, this week we we already did it. Sure. Or, or maybe we didn't. Yeah. Um, but I guess it depends on which theory you subscribe to. There you go. Um, I guess maybe we could try to do something different, but chances are that's what we already did the first time. Yeah. So there's, I guess really there's there's no way to change it. Yeah. Just Let's just do what we're going to do.
0: Strength theory and quantum mechanics, folks.
1: Wrap your brain around it. I, I can't do it. Okay. So... Let's just get on with it. All right, then. Okay. So, Angel Dark, Demon Bright. This was the sixth episode aired of Andromeda. It is production number 107. Hey, we're starting to get linear. Uh, sequential. A little bit.
0: Yeah, this yeah. is
1: great. There's there's one we've missed, but you know what? We'll get to that at some point in the future, I'm sure. Okay. So, <laughs> Ethan, why don't you tell us something uh, something that you may have dug up? About this episode, I dug up a
0: couple of things about this one. All of course, right. this is an episode uh, "Angel Dark, Demon Bright," as you mentioned before, written by Robert Hewitt Wolf, uh, and then it's also directed by Alan Eastman. Um, we had a, an interesting guest star on this one. Uh, Joe Bates is the actress's name. She plays Captain uh, Boratip Yesgar uh, in the episode. Here, uh, she was a very busy TV and movie actress throughout the early eight or late eighties, early nineties. Um, she did an episode of MacGyver. Um, she also did an episode of one of my favorite crime slash police shows uh, from the early 90s called The Commish. Mm. Did, you lo- did you watch The Commish? I did. I love The Commish. That was a great commish. show. Yeah. Oh, what was the dude's name? The bald guy now. Yeah. Oh, man. I'm blanking on his name. No, anyway. but
1: every time I see him in anything else, I go, The
0: Commish. The commish. Exactly. Yeah. No, I did not know that about you. I have a little more respect. Oh well, great. Whatever. anybody that has that knows the Comish mm-hmm. TV show, and, and where is that on Netflix? Come on, come on, Netflix! You gotta, yeah. you gotta start showing us that. Yeah. Anyway, she she did a, a part on the Comish, and and even did X Files. And I thought it was interesting the X Files episode that she was in. She played a crew member on a French salvage vessel that was named the Piper Maru. Whoa. Well, I thought that was an interesting little tie in with with Andromeda here with the Eureka Maru mm-hmm. with that Japanese boat mm-hmm. uh moniker there. Uh so yeah, so she was she was busy throughout the the late eighties, early nineties, not into the two thousands, uh obviously doing Andromeda here, uh playing uh Borotep Yeshgar uh, in this particular episode. So Joe Bates was the actress's name. And then two, I thought it was interesting at one point Dylan uh utters the phrase I am become death, Mm -hmm. destroyer of worlds, which is a very heavy statement. Yeah. Originally, that was taken from a Hindu spiritual text. But in uh, modern history, it's actually attributed uh, more toward uh, Robert Oppenheimer. Uh, He said it. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was he was a, a theoretical physicist and one of the developers of the atomic bomb. Mm-hmm. And if you go on YouTube, if you have the uh, access to the internets, uh, on YouTube there you can look up that phrase and Robert Oppenheimer, and you can see him utter that phrase hmm. in, in an interview that he was. I think it's the the late forties, or early fifties. I think is when that was filmed. Uh, very poignant, mm-hmm. uh, a very heavy statement. And it, I thought it was interesting because. Not just where the statement comes from, but Kevin Sorbo, when he delivers the line, you can feel the weight behind mm-hmm. it. And I think it was actually one of Kevin Sorbo's better moments in this first season, as far as acting goes, in, in how he delivers that line. Because it's kind of similar to the way he has that haunted look in his eye that, mm-hmm. that Robert Hop- Oppenheimer has in that uh, in that video. Uh, so anyway, that was uh, just a couple of the points that I thought were very interesting from uh, from this episode.
1: Wow, well, that was some really good trivia. You still have some breath left in you, a little bit. Okay, because I think you got a summary to go ahead and give for us, don't you? Yes, I do. Okay,
0: let's let's have it. What happened in this episode? All right, Angel Dark, Demon Bright. We begin the episode on the command deck, and Tier and Becca are attempting to teach Trance how to pilot a ship in Slipstream. Trance is apprehensive about the endeavor, but Tier insists that she learn because, as he puts it, one day their lives may depend on it. Becca explains that computers, even an AI like Andromeda, are incapable of navigating Slipstream. Only organic lifeforms, with their quirks and their unique characteristics, are able to successfully transit Slipstream. They begin the simple jump to 36, Ophiuchi, but it proves to be a particularly rough ride. Trance isn't sure that she is doing it right. Rami isn't able to confirm or deny, but she's leaning heavily toward No. Finally, they exit from Slipstream and back into normal space. Andromeda confirms that they are not where they should be, and she has taken heavy damage. They aren't going anywhere anytime soon. Dylan now enters the command deck, and he is not happy. Later, Dylan locates Trance on the Maru and lets her know that he doesn't blame her. She may be Becca's good luck charm on the Maru, but she thinks that she's a menace. Plants she can do, as she says, but machines and time and space, these are a lot more complicated. Andromeda meanwhile has sussed out her location. It's the Witchhead Nebula in the Milky Way Galaxy. The significance of the location is immediately understood by the crew, all except Dylan. Both Harper and Tier, in turn, try to explain their versions of the Battle of Witchhead. Despite their differences in how their versions are told, one thing becomes clear. The battle was a turning point in the fall of the system's commonwealth, and it crippled the Nietzschean tactical offensive, leading to civil war among the Prides. Curiously, though, Andromeda points out that there is no sign that a battle has taken place. As repairs continue, another High Guard ship appears. Andromeda identifies her as the Renewed Valor, Captain Yeskar's ship, according to Dillon. The captain is surprised to find Dylan there, explaining that he's been missing for some 13 months. Now Dylan and the crew are beginning to understand. Somehow, they have traveled back in time, at a point before the Battle of Witchhead. Becca expresses what the rest of us already understand. Time travel is never a good thing. However, Harper wants to corner the markets and secure a comfortable position for the coming night. Dylan wants to warn the Commonwealth of what's to come. Tyr claims that it's already too late for the Commonwealth. Dylan should commit them to helping the Nietzscheans. That way, they'll be stronger against the coming Magog attacks. Dylan and Rev Bim later discuss the situation and consider how Dylan's decision seemingly has whole civilizations and galaxies hanging in the balance. Dylan doesn't like the position that he's been put in. His decision, ultimately, is to do nothing. Andromeda will leave after her repairs are made. There's too much at stake, too much that can go wrong if they get involved. Harper, however, disagrees with this assessment, and he sets about creating an anti-proton fusion catalyst device with a plan to commit murder most foul against the Nietzschean fleet. But Trance discovers Harper's plan and confronts him on it. Harper explains that he survived occupation by both Nietzscheans and Magog, and out of the two, the Nietzscheans were the worst. Trance flees with Harper's device and makes it to the command deck, where Harper's plan is revealed. Dylan finally decides to tell Captain Yesgar the truth about why they're there, and asks her to come back with them to make a real difference in the future, to which she agrees. As they approach the slipstream portal, though, A Nietzschean fleet arrives and destroys the renewed valor before Andromeda can help. So much for any help in the future. Andromeda flees further into the nebula to hide. Rev. Bim, though, points out that there are over 1,500 Nietzschean ships, not the 500 that history records. Dylan realizes that, somehow, they have changed history. Harper's device will help them to preserve their timeline, though, but to do so, it means destroying over a thousand Nietzschean ships. Quick math here, that's over a hundred thousand lives destroyed. Yeah, it's time for another soul-searching session with Revbim. Meanwhile, Tyr is attempting to take over the Maru when Trance stumbles in on him. She knows he's trying to warn the Nietzscheans. She's also puzzled why he didn't seem at all surprised by the size of the fleet, almost as if he knew what was coming. Tyr threatens, but Trance coyly uses her wildcard charm and leaves Tyr to consider his options. Dylan has decided to use Harper's weapon, and as the battle ensues, Tyr comes to the command deck and begins to relate a legend that the Nietzscheans have told about the Battle of Witchhead. They had overwhelming odds against the Commonwealth. Victory seemed assured, but in the final hour, an angel of death appeared and unleashed the fires of hell, leaving the ambushing fleet crippled. Dylan fires the weapon, and two-thirds of the fleet is evaporated. Dylan orders the Andromeda into Slipstream and home, leaving the incoming Commonwealth forces to history. Later in their own time, Tyr and Dylan talk on the observation deck, and they arrive at an uneasy understanding of what they've just been through. Trance, meanwhile in the Maru, is pruning a tree, Cutting a rather sizable branch off the stalk and looking over her work, she rather cryptically proclaims, that's better. The end. You know, Ethan,
1: if nothing else that I can take away from this episode, it reaffirms something that I have always believed in. If it doesn't work, hit it. (laughs)
0: Yeah, and, and I think I know the exact moment you're speaking of. Is it when Tyr is trying to take over the Maru? Yeah. 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 Yeah, just hit it, kick it, you know. Complicated security equipment, a PC of some sort. Yeah. It'll just, just... It'll, just, it'll fix itself. That's
1: right. Just keep hitting it. Yeah. No, The TV, when when the vertical hold is all out of whack, you know, just, just give it a slap, couple smacks. Yeah, slap, slap the go. side of that bad boy. There you go. There you go. It works. And it, apparently it works 3,000 years from now, too. Yeah.
0: No, that's a, that's a good observation. I had the same thought. I mean, he doesn't just hit the thing. <laughs> he rears up, grabs a, a steam pipe or something overhead, and just full body lays into that thing. Um and we know he's strong yeah <laughs> Yeah, that was an interesting scene.
1: Huh. So time travel, huh? You know what Daddy always said
0: don't mess with time travel. <laughs> <laughs> you know it, uh, I was thinking in the last episode and I didn't I don't think I brought it up, but it, it only took them five episodes to do a self-destruct scene <laughs> a- and, and here somehow it seems Zen that only six episodes in, we now have time travel introduced mm-hmm. into, into the series. I know that this is something that has been done repeatedly throughout sci-fi. It um, will get more into the, the whole aspect of time travel and, and what we thought about it in, in this episode in particular. But, oh, man, time travel. Yeah, I, I know it can tell a great story, but, boy, it's so problematic. It hurts your head. It does hurt your head. Yeah. And I love time travel. Oh, really? When did when did you recently?
1: Well, you know, I, <laughs> I've done a bit of time traveling. It's actually not that fun. But in sci-fi, it's a lot of fun. It is a
0: lot of fun. Yeah. It can be. But no, but no I, I think, um, and, and I'm jumping ahead in our discussion a little bit, but I think uh, this episode, uh, well, the rest of the series, I don't think happens unless we have this episode. Okay. Like I said, we're I think we're gonna come more into that later in the discussion. But as far as time time travel episodes go, I kind of give this one a little bit of a pass. Uh it doesn't bother me as much as is in other genres. Um so Harper has a GoPro. Is <laughs> it a GoPro? Yeah. Yeah, it was. And and he likes he likes using it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you know, I want to go back a few episodes when we were. Can we title? Can we title the episode? Harper has a GoPro. I love that. I really do. Anyway, that should have been the name of
1: this episode. It should have been. Yeah. You had mentioned a few episodes back. I think it was an episode two uh, during our affirming flame discussion. Uh, at that time, you said that you didn't really care much for Harper. He annoyed you.
0: Yes, I did make that statement.
1: And I said, I don't know. I like him. Mm-hmm. I don't really have a problem with him. Yeah. I think if there was ever a time when I was annoyed with Harper, it's this episode.
0: Really? Can you explain that a little more?
1: The whole talking into the camera, talking about when you make my statue, you know, and... and- oh, can
0: I ask you a question? Okay. This is kind of a survey question. And it's going to see where this conversation is going. Do you take selfies? No. Okay. I do not take selfies either. So I think we share the reason why we don't like okay. Harper in this particular. All right.
1: I delete people that do too many <laughs> selfies.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: It's like one or two. Okay. okay I'm going to give you a pass.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, so selfies are out. People that take vines of themselves, That's that's an, that's a step worse. That's worse than a selfie, in my opinion, in my book, anyway. So, yeah, here we have Harper basically doing Vine videos of himself for posterity, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I didn't care much for that either. Yeah, this is one of those cases where I would...
1: It was too much Harper.
0: Yeah. Um, I I had an interesting thought. The the last time I watched through this before we did this episode, um, I was watching last night. I reviewed it again. And I had missed it before, but then I caught it, this, this last watch. When Captain Yeshgar is talking with Dylan, and Dylan finally reveals, uh, he's, you know, he's out of time, or he's been time traveling, and now they're gonna go back to the future. He invites her to come along. He's talking with her as if she's the only person on the ship. And her response is, yeah, I'll do that. Um. This is the same class of vessel that Andromeda mm-hmm. is, right? And w- have we established what class of vessel this is yet? I don't think we've heard that, have we? I don't even know what class the vessel is. Hmm. Which is really weird for well, me not, because that's yeah. a thing in my sci-fi that I enjoy, mm-hmm. is knowing the class of ships that we're, right. that we're seeing or that we're riding around on.
1: Yeah, we know it's not a constitution class. It's not a galaxy class. No. It's not a firefly
0: no. class. So this is kind of bugging me now. Okay. Uh, we'll come back to that. Okay. But anyway, this is the same. This is the same type of ship that Andromeda is. The uh um, uh, uh, the renewed Valor, the renewed Valor. Uh, there's got to be at least a thousand people on this ship. Uh, I mean, <laughs> we've established that the Andromeda had a crew of thousands, right? Mm-hmm. So four, there's a, four thousand. Four thousand. Okay. Yeah. So the renewed Valor stands to reason, even conservatively, if you said it had half the size crew of the Andromeda. There's two thousand people. Um. Wow, she's making a, a a very, very big decision for, for 2,000, 3,000, maybe even 4,000 people. Uh, let's just go 300 years into the future. Uh, yeah, we're fighting for a commonwealth. We have been for the last 13 months. Um, yeah, let's just ditch them and, and go with this captain. Uh, what's his name? Hunt that showed up after not fighting for 13 months with us side by side, yeah, let's just go with him into the future and uh, yeah, just see what the future brings. This just seems to me like a, a rather snap, spur-of-the-moment decision when you have thousands of people's lives <laughs> that, that have connections to that time. It just seems like a, a rather rash decision. Uh, am, I, am, I, am I off base on that?
1: Well, I don't know. I mean because you, you think about it, Dylan has told her basically what's going to happen true The Commonwealth is going to fall right This battle is going to be disastrous. yes you're all going to die. Yes
0: but so she's but the the Commonwealth, yeah it, it really starts to to crumble after this battle, it really starts to come apart at the seams, but that doesn't mean that everybody dies. I mean, you've got thousands of people that have family and connections and what at various planets, probably throughout the Commonwealth. They're not all going to pass away like overnight. I, I, I'm just, I'm putting myself in the position of if I was a crew member and all of a sudden the captain says, uh, attention, we're about to go 300 years in the future. You're never going to see your, your family again. I might have a little bit of a problem with that.
1: Yeah, but the other alternative is we all blow up and no one sees us ever again. Either way, they still lose
0: their family. Their family loses them. Yeah, but but I'm saying you know what's going to happen. Leave. <laughs> but it's too late. Well, yeah. Yeah. And, and the way they explained... or or not explain that the possible outcome is that no matter what you do, the, the, what is going to happen in that timeline is that you will be destroyed. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's later. (laughs) Sorry. My point is
1: if, if you, if someone comes from the future and says, this is what's going to happen, you're all going to die or you can go through this magical portal and come to the future and try to save the future. Yeah, it's going to be heartbreaking. Yeah, it's going to be disappointing for all of the reasons that we've already explored how it's been heartbreaking for Dylan. Because he's lost everything, but he was going to lose all of that anyway. True. Because he was going to die. And, and now all of these people are going to die. Or they can have a second chance, you know? Yeah. I, you know, I guess f- here's what, one of the things that comes to mind is think about people who have lost everything in some sort of a natural disaster. Yeah. They come away with their lives. And it's after that point that they are grateful for what they do have. If they have the choice before that and they say, oh, I don't want to go through that earthquake. I don't want to go through that tornado that, or that tsunami. I don't want to have anything to do with that. But if someone comes from the future and says, it doesn't matter. This is what's going to happen. Or you can just skip over all of it and come away with it. And all you have left is your life. Yeah. Okay, I guess there are going to be some people that are going to choose to to stay. You have uh, Truman from uh, Mount St. Helens. <laughs> he, yeah. He's going to stay. Yeah. He's yeah. going to ride it out, mm-hmm. and he's going to die. Right. But I think probably... Nice
0: historical reference. Thank you. I like that. Thank yeah. you.
1: The majority of people, don't you think, are going to say, I'm going to get out of here with
0: my life. Yeah.
1: So, you know, those thousand people...
0: I, I, yes, there are going to be those that would agree to it and probably wouldn't take very long to, to arrive at that decision. I just don't think everybody would. And I understand you're on a high guard ship. It's not a democracy. But right. it seems like you're going to have some issues to deal with <laughs> going forward if, if they make it forward. And Obviously, they, can,
1: they can deal with it 300 years later. True, true.
0: All I really know about Captain Yeshgar... Is that if you have a dinner party at 6 o'clock, you don't tell her to show up until 6.30. <laughs> because she is early to the party. <laughs> she is obviously very prompt.
1: We also find out in this episode that the Nietzschean homeworld is Fountainhead. Yes. So I just thought that was interesting. It's another thing we learned about the, the Nietzscheans. Their homeworld is, the, is Fountainhead. So... I guess anyone's going to have a, a home world. Humans have Earth. Um, why aren't the Nietzscheans home world Earth? They found somewhere else to go.
0: Something tells me Fountainhead is probably where they were engineered. Or, or at least after they were created, that was a key base or point of, of where they were cultivated and, and grown and spread from. Mm-hmm. That's really the only thing I took from Fountainhead. Hey, Ryan, we know when this show is taking place. We At do? Least, yeah. We have established the Commonwealth year. All right. That the events of Dylan trying to reestablish the new system's Commonwealth is taking place. Okay. 1087. Okay. So it's
1: 10,087 Commonwealth year. Yes. Okay. So now we can start to to form a frame of reference from all the quotes that we're getting. Yes. Uh we've tried to do this before. Yeah. Uh using different sources, outside sources. So this is great. So now we can start doing this from within the show. Yes. Okay. We also learned something about uh how Rev Bim feels about Dylan Hunt. Yes. Um he calls him a tool. <laughs> <laughs> Did he say that per- it was that was that quotes? Uh, let me, let's see. I have the script. Uh, Hunt, 100,000 people. How can I even consider it? Bem, Dylan, fate brought you this battle. Destiny demands your actions. I know this is not easy for you, but perhaps you
0: are merely a tool of demise. <laughs> <laughs> he does. You're, a tool of You divine are divine a will. tool. You are a tool. Well, I'm taking it out of context, but yeah, he does say that. Okay. Well, I'm just saying he, 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 he calls Dylan a tool. No, I, so. I did I did think that was interesting the way Rev Bim, uh, because we have a couple of, of scenes here in which Rev Bim is, is kind of the the spiritual sounding board. Mm-hmm. Uh, for uh for dylan to be able to sort through what he's having to deal with a- initially he he doesn't want to deal with what fate or or what the circumstances have thrust upon him and then now suddenly it, toward the end of the show he he has to come to terms with murdering a hundred thousand people mm-hmm. and that's really not something any of us would or should ever have to face uh I think Rev Bim does a great job at explaining the – the. Uh, well, I forget exactly how he phrases it at the end of the conversation. Oh, yeah, he says, uh, these are my mathematics. And I thought that was a great line. And that, yeah, it's, it's a lot of people. But we're in this situation where this is what the universe is thrust upon you. This is what time and circumstances thrust upon you. And you have to rise to the occasion. And I thought it was interesting the way Rev is, up to this point, has viewed life and how precious life is. But now in this moment, Rev's willing to accept. It seems like he, he's willing to accept. He's not mm-hmm. the one making the decision, obviously. Mm-hmm. But he he doesn't seem like he, he has a problem with it. He's certainly not trying to talk Dylan out of eliminating two-thirds of the Nietzschean fleet. Mm-hmm. I thought that was an interesting play in, in Rev's character and how he's there, not just as a conscience. Mm-hmm. He, he's there as a sounding board for, for Dylan to kind of come to terms with some of these atrocities that he's going to have to do. And as I mentioned before, at the beginning of the show, there's the, the phrase I am become death. There is, is Kevin Sorbo's moment to really reflect as an actor, the gravity of the situation. And I thought, uh, it all played very well together i thought it did seem awfully strange coming from rev bim
1: here you have someone who we've already talked about in past episodes who he he won't take part in combat um he'll he'll spray his magog juice <laughs> at people's faces <laughs> but even then that's not that's not any sort of a fatal blow and then in this case for him to say this is This is the will of whatever divine it is that he believes in mm-hmm. as a wayist, then he he's saying that Dylan is here for a reason. He is supposed to do this for a reason. It's something that Rev Bem himself could never take part in, but he's acknowledging that Dylan has to do it. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, he he. I don't want to go so far as to say that Rev Bem gave him his blessing to kill a hundred thousand Nietzscheans, but he also didn't not
0: right. And all of this is coming on the heels of well, what was it, last week's episode uh, in Double Helix. We saw Dylan wrestling with his idea of prejudice against. The Nietzscheans. Mm-hmm. and when he first begins talking with Reverend M, he just wants to. Oh, I just want to destroy them. Maybe that's not what he says exactly. I can't remember exactly what he says now, but he he wants to harm them. Mm-hmm. He's he does not have good feelings toward them. I I guess that's my caveat with this whole thing, is that now faced with the idea of murdering a hundred thousand Nietzscheans, now in that moment he's having a crisis. You know. Whereas a week ago, uh, Captain Dylan Hunt had did not want to work with Nietzscheans and could have easily made the decision, oh, two thirds of the fleet, a hundred thousand Nietzscheans destroyed. I got no problems with that. Mm-hmm. I gotta do what I gotta do. Uh,
1: well, maybe there's there's a difference with being confronted with the idea versus confronted with the reality.
0: There you go. You, and, and and maybe that's where we see, kind of the depth of of Dylan Hunt as a character. I okay, guess.
1: and let's let's go away from just Dylan. There's more people involved here in this mass murder. Very true. Look at look at Harper. Yeah, he was so gung ho. Yes, he was so excited. He was he was telling people in the future how he wanted his statue made mm-hmm. for accomplishing this amazing feat of. Of destroying 100,000 Nietzscheans. He was so proud of himself. And then when it's done... In that moment. There's no dialogue. No. But the actor, uh, Gordon Robert Wolvet, just does a great job of just displaying that from elation to... Mo- I, j- I just murdered a 100,000 yeah, people. That moment
0: of, I got what I wanted... Uh, this isn't as cool as I thought it was yeah, going to be.
1: Yeah, maybe it wasn't really what I wanted. Yeah.
0: And yeah, no, that's that was a very great scene. Uh, both those actors, both mm-hmm. Sorbo and Wolfe, they both had very poignant moments in that episode that I, I appreciated.
1: Yeah, that's something we haven't talked about much, is the actors. Yeah. We we always refer to them as their character yeah. names. Yeah, And we, we do need to give a lot of credit to the actors in this, because so far... I think the actors have really done a very good job Mm -hmm. of portraying their characters, especially key moments like these. Yeah. These are moments where we're really um, seeing what those characters are thinking and feeling, not just by the lines that were written, but by the way that they're acted.
0: Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. I I wholeheartedly agree. And for that reason, I want to take a moment and let's talk about Laura Bertram and Trance. Because I felt like as I'm watching this entire episode, this isn't a, as interesting as it is to talk about what Dylan Hunt faced, the decision that he had, uh, Harper, and his hatred for the Nietzscheans and, and all that they wrought on his homeworld on mm-hmm. Earth, you know? Our homeworld, Our home world, exactly. Yeah. Uh, for all of that, I, I felt like as I'm watching this episode that I'm watching an episode about trance. Mm-hmm. Because... I'm just going to ask this question is trance piloting the ship and them ending up in the past. Wasn't an accident. Absolutely not. No, no, I, I wholeheartedly agree. And I want to, I want to take off these points. We have, um, well, first of all, it it just feels like to me, she was less wild card. That's kind of how I've described her uh, thus far in the series as, as a wild card. It's mm-hmm. less wild card, more puppet master is what it felt like <laughs> mm-hmm. in watching this episode because you have the look that she gives on the command deck yeah. when she um, when she escapes from, uh, or when when they exit from Slipstream. Mm-hmm. She has that look, mm-hmm. and there's that little musical cue, which I thought was very interesting for the soundtrack. Um, you have the look that she gives behind Dylan's back as she outs Harper in in his, you know, here's his device, here's what he's planning on doing. Uh, she has a look about her there. Uh, there's the way that she plays on tier when they're mm-hmm. on the Maru. She plays him like a harp, um, and then her response at the end of, end of the episode—that cryptic, mm-hmm. uh, you know—that's that's, better. That's better. I I thought it was very refreshing to see her character in. A- I feel like this is the episode where she begins to truly establish we've had hints mm-hmm. and we've touched on them in our discussions of this of, on this podcast. Here is where I feel like we start to see trance as a player in, in this opera in this in this drama that's taking place, and right. I thought that was very refreshing and I think i I really got to give Laura Bertram credit because I thought she did really well at being at broadcasting it so the audience wouldn't miss it but at the same time being subtle Mm -hmm. i thought it was very good
1: yeah no i agree i had the same thing in my notes just just a sort of a side eye glance right there on the the command deck as in letting the rest of us know this was no accident yeah you know there everyone on the command deck is freaking out what have you done? Where are we? You know, and she's like, I'm so, so sorry. Not. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I hear you. But I must have missed the the look that Trance gave to... You just said it about Trance giving when, when... When she
0: escapes Harper? And she's standing behind Dylan? Is that what you're referring to?
1: Yeah, because well, cause what I was wondering, it, it, to me, it's like it's all her doing that they're there in the first place. Right. It's all her doing that they are going to destroy this two-thirds of the Nietzschean fleet. Yeah. Okay. I- but
0: she's got to bring it to somebody's attention. Yeah. So she goes to Dylan. Right. And well, she... And, and, hey, here it is. And, and okay, they, in the scene, they don't explain what Harper's doing. But, obviously, she's outing him now. Mm-hmm. And, and, and just, there's a look that she gives... Dylan's looking at Harper. Andromeda's on the screen behind and looking at Harper. And obviously (laughs) Andromeda's mad (laughs) at Harper because of what he's done. He's blinded her internal sensors and whatnot, Uh you know? And, and so there's that whole, all the attentions on Harper. She's about to explain what he's doing, why he's chasing her down. And there's a look that she gives behind Dylan's back. And I thought that was telling. I thought it was very well acted. I thought. Maybe I I may be the only one that caught that. I'm sorry.
1: Well, no, that's that's great. I'm going to have to go back and look. But I guess what I what I'm not understanding is if the whole purpose of trans taking them there is to destroy this two thirds of this Nietzschean fleet. Why did she not just let Harper do it? Why does it have to go through Dylan?
0: Well, because I believe, if I remember the episode correctly, Harper's plan was to destroy the entire fleet he knew when they were going to show up he had programmed the the anti-proton fusion catalyst device um that's easy for you to say that's a mouthful <laughs> he he has programmed that thing to go off so that it will take out the entire fleet and, and i think if we assume that they're back here in time at you know because trance has put them in that position she knows He has the ability to take the entire fleet out, but she can't allow that to happen if events are going to unfold 300 years later the way they're supposed to.
1: Well, this is where my brain starts to hurt. (laughs) Why not just let him take out the entire Nietzschean fleet and then the Commonwealth
0: wins the war? That'd be too easy. Think about the pruning of the tree and in, in the statement that she makes. Yeah. Machines and time and space. Those things are more difficult. I, I, I think we get a little bit of a glimpse. Yeah, she's manipulating, but there are limits to what she can do. Uh, she can only do so much. She can only discern so much about, you know, if if she prunes here or if she makes a move here it's going to have an effect she knows the general direction is going to go but she doesn't know exactly how it's going to work out uh i think we kind of get a a, a glimpse into that in this episode and so she understands that and i'm i'm really stretching here i'm <laughs> i'm projecting a lot onto the character and and what i think i know about the character Based on conversations with the, the developer and and other things that that I've read, mm-hmm. uh, history records five hundred ships. She knows that if Harper's device goes off in the way that Harper intends for it, it's all the ships destroyed. But that can't happen because that leads to something else. That's a whole different reality, and that's not the one that she wants. What she wants is Harper, or uh, I'm sorry, not Harper, Dylan to make the decision, bring it down to the 500 that history records, and that gets her closer to what eventuality she wants in 10,087. I'm surprised I carried that thought as far as it went.
1: Yeah, but...
0: (laughs) And good on you, but...
1: History according to what? To to what history? Yeah,
0: I know. I can, because, because at this point, you're in the past. You can make history be whatever you want it to be. And 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 Tyr, he
1: brings up the point, okay, that there's a, supposed to be this legend that there were so many more Nietzschean ships. And this Angel of Death appears, yes. okay, takes out two-thirds of the Nietzschean fleet. I don't know if he, I remember if he used numbers. What did he say? No. No, he didn't. Okay. But basically, basically took them. Decimated him. Out. him. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So it's already happened. Yeah. Why do they have to go back and do it again?
0: Uh, okay. We're starting to devolve into that time paradox, that whole thing. Uh, I, I believe we had this discussion on an issue of Age of Geek, perhaps when we were talking about inter- interstellar or maybe we will <laughs> great or we already did and we'll do it again i'm completely having a matrix moment <laughs> no it, it's this is where the issue of time travel becomes a problem yeah in in storytelling because if you try and reason on it it becomes easy for you to say well you're in the past You know what's going to happen. Just do it differently so that you get a different result. It doesn't hold up. You can't tell stories that way. And so you have... Can we come down to what we thought about the episode? I mean, because we're we're starting to to dance dangerously close into my opinion of the episode itself. Oh, we are? Yeah. Okay. Well, Well, for me, anyway. So I'm going to go there. I'm going to go there. Uh, I like this episode, even though I don't like time travel in in a lot of sci-fi stories. It does work. Back to the Future is a great series, and I love even the uh, the next two uh, episodes or uh, movies that came after. But in like Star Trek, uh, in in other series, I I, I have problems with time travel episodes. Hold on. So you don't have problems with Back to the Future? Oh, there's all kinds of things you can pick apart. Okay. All right. That's all I want yeah. to Yeah, no no no. Okay. Believe me. Yeah, there there <laughs> there's there's things you can take yeah. It has its flaws. Mm-hmm. But Back to the Future is a great eighties movie. Okay. Come on.
1: Yo, no, I agree okay. with that. I love Back to the Future. We were about to have there issues there are huge
0: flaws. <laughs> well, yes. Because when you tell time travel stories, it becomes very easy to pick those flaws out if you think about them too much. Um, we talked about, and I alluded to it before on an, on an issue of Age of Geek, we talked about Interstellar. Mm-hmm. I love that movie. Uh, but if you start to think about it too much, it begins to unravel. Right. And if you think about this episode, Angel, Dark, Demon, Bright... If you start applying chicken in the egg and and thinking reasonably, it begins to fall apart. Right. So if if you don't do that and you just accept that in the in ten eighty seven, in which the story of Andromeda is actually being told, uh, if you accept that they have to go back three hundred years and do this, destroy two thirds of the Nietzschean fleet, and then return to their time because trance makes it so Picard reference um then i if you just if you just take it at face value like that it's a great episode i actually loved it i loved watching it as long as i don't think too hard about the fact that they're traveling in time which i hate i i i feel like i'm i feel like i'm being completely hypocritical but you know i i did like this episode all right. Well, now we know what you
1: think about the show so far, Ethan. Um, let's reel it back in just a little bit, and uh, let's go back to our quote. Okay. Yeah, we, we yeah usually, let's we do that. We usually
0: do this at we this point. We should do that. So, okay. I, I apologize to you, the listener, for completely... <laughs> no, I don't apologize to the listener, because they probably understand where I'm coming from. I apologize to you, Ryan for breaking the show. (laughs) (laughs) It's all right. You know, I'm the one that's got to edit it. Yeah. So
1: that's cool. The, the quote. Yes. In this episode, the quote, the heavens burned, the stars cried out and under the ashes of infinity, hope scarred and bleeding breathed its last. This is one of the more poetic quotes that we've had to this point. Yeah. I think. Yeah. No, I agree. And it's um it's accredited to this Eula Tempa poetus and it's an elegy for the Commonwealth. Commonwealth year ninety eight twenty three.
0: Yeah, I I jotted down some notes on that. We're looking at uh that being a quote some two hundred and sixty four five years uh in the past from from the year ten thousand eighty seven. So we're looking at thirty some odd years after the fall.
1: Right. Yeah. So yeah, I mean this is this is after the fall. This is after this is after this battle of Head.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So No, and it's a perfect eulogy mm-hmm. for the Commonwealth and, and in particular for for this this battle. Right. No, I, I like this statement a lot. Even though um, a lot
1: of people supposedly didn't know what actually went down in this battle. This was supposed to have been a Nietzschean legend, according to Tyr. Yeah. No one else really knew about what was going on. So
0: that's kind of interesting. Well, yeah, but like, even in the... in, in Harper's telling of, of the account, which he had the details completely wrong. <laughs> we don't know. I mean... <laughs> Teddy <know>. Roosevelt? <laughs> there, there could
1: be... A, You know what? I happen to know there's another Ryan Mazzocco out there. Oh, okay. Can you believe that? No. Yeah, there is. That's a scary thought. So, okay. Well, I don't know if he's anything
0: like me, but... (laughs) Probably not. There is only one, <laughs> so Brian <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. I appreciate that. There could be another, or
1: at least maybe not now, but three thousand years from now, there, there there could be another Teddy
0: Roosevelt and another Ho Chi Minh. Okay. Well, maybe cloning will will catch traction. Or sure. Something. There you yeah. go. Well, <laughs> so that aside, the details that he gives, although sp- very specific and. Possibly wrong. Who knows? Uh, the the fact is the whatever telling whether it's from Harper's viewpoint or from Tears' viewpoint, the result is the same. The Commonwealth does fall. Mm-hmm. They they are routed, and whether it's it's you know two ships mano a mano and you know they take each other out, thus saving Earth as Harper's version tells, or Tears' version in which they decimate the Commonwealth forces, but then devolve into infighting and civil mm-hmm. war regardless, civilization is lost. And, and it's it's the the ashes of hope basically cast throughout the, the the galaxies at that time. So I think this regardless of whichever version that you subscribe to, uh or even if you don't subscribe to either one, civilization's fallen. Yeah. And it's dead. Yeah, and you're right. That's
1: what this quote is saying. Cause hope scarred and bleeding breathed its last. We're personifying hope. Yeah. And hope is just is just all beat up. Beyond recognition. It's bleeding out. Takes this last breath. Hope
0: is done. I, I yeah, you're right. I'm not gonna go too far down this rabbit hole. But suddenly you saying that, uh what was the huge uh phrase from the last major presidential election? hope, <laughs> and a lot of people today view hope as being something very akin to possibly this statement. You know, I, I just thought that was interesting, just to kind of draw a parallel between what the show is saying there, and perhaps how a lot of people view life today, mm-hmm. uh, regardless of where in the world you're living it. <laughs> right. And, you know,
1: bring that back in to the Andromeda universe. Mm-hmm. At the beginning of every show, Dylan Hunt has his monologue during the opening credits. Yeah. Yeah. How does that end? On the starship Andromeda?
0: Hope lives again. Right. Oh, no, I I had not drawn that parallel. That's very good. Well, you know, Ethan, you, you kind of already showed your hand pretty well. I did. Well about I did. I, <laughs> I'm a, do not ever play poker with me. <laughs> I will lose my shirt. That's just bottom line that's what yeah. it comes down to.
1: We we need to get a good game together
0: sometime <laughs> soon cuz oh uh, yeah perhaps. No, um yeah, I I I've explained my feelings about the show. Ryan, why don't you tell us though? What would you think about it? You know what? I liked it.
1: There are there are problems. There are problems that drive me insane. <laughs> There are problems that drive me crazy. There are problems that I didn't even talk about because I knew it would get me too worked up. Okay. But those are also conversations that I'm going to have in pretty much any show that involves time travel.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Time travel of this sort. Yeah. Did I- did did it happen? Did it happen because we made it happen? Did it happen because it already happened so we had to do it again? It, it drives me insane. Yeah. I'm I'm holding a pin. I want to put it in my eyeball. Take this pin away from me, okay? But I also keep going back and watching these things that drive me crazy. But even with all of that, I I still liked it. Um, there were a lot of things that that we still learn about the characters. This was, as far as character development goes, um, huge trance episode. Absolutely. And not just trance. We we learn about uh we learn about Dylan, um and his inner conflict, uh how he has possibly grown from the last episode mm-hmm. or possibly just how the, the reality has has forced him to grow, you know, or maybe not even grow, but just show what he really is.
0: Well to think about it. Yeah. Yeah, to really take a step back and and take stock of of where he's at. Yeah. And how he feels about Nietzscheans.
1: Right. Yeah. Um, The same thing with Harper.
0: Yes. Yeah, which we didn't even bring up the fact that he makes that that comment about uh, between the Nietzscheans and the Magog, uh, what it boils down to is the Nietzscheans are human, and nobody beats humans for nastiness. And he makes the point about the guillotine and and crucifixion and all of these things that have come out of human history Mm -hmm. that are bad. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, so when when you put project that onto Nietzscheans, all of a sudden you you get an idea of what they're capable of, Mm-hmm. and that yeah, the magog are bad. They rape you, and lay their eggs in your host body. Yeah, that sucks. Mm-hmm. But the Nietzscheans can do worse, <laughs> and that's uh, that's a tough pill mm-hmm. to swallow. Hmm. You know what?
1: Maybe the kids in episode three had it right. Just get rid of the Nietzscheans and the Magus. Just wipe them. Noble bombs. Yeah, noble bombs all the way. <laughs> but that's not Commonwealth. Nope. That's not Dylan's blind idealism. Nope. We have we
0: have a struggle ahead of us.
1: I guess that pretty much does it. So.
0: We'd like to hear what you guys think. Ethan, where can they get a hold of us? Uh, You can send us an email, and that would be drivebackthenightpodcast at gmail.com.
1: And we're also on the Twitter and the Facebook at the handle AndromedaPod on both of those. We're andromedaseries.podbean.com. We want to thank Age of Geek for helping us out and producing us here. And Tim Kimmerly for doing our voiceover quotes at the beginning of each episode. And we hope you'll join us back here again next week as we try to unravel the Ties That Blind.